0: everybody, and welcome to episode one of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. We don't tell things the way they are. We don't tell it like it is, as Howard Cosell used to say. We tell it the way things should be. Yeah. I am Dan Scott, and um, joining me is Cobb Oxford. We were hoping to have a third member of our crew here today, but uh, our uh, buddy Tom Van Hoy couldn't be here because he's got family life things going on which is something we can pick on him about. He's too old to be in this that position right now.
1: Well, you know, we've all waited on the plumber. We've all waited <laughs> on the cable guy. So, yeah, life gets in the way sometimes. Cobb
0: and I uh, go back a long way, uh, back to the days when I did a uh, talk show, a daily talk show for 11 years on the uh, flagship station for Clemson Athletics. And um, – Bob was a frequent guest on the program, almost to the level of co-host, but he didn't show up often enough. Because
1: Usually I, because of snow in Pendleton. Right, yeah. yeah,
0: even in the middle of July, miraculously he got snowed in. Uh, our location, um, just for geographic purposes, for those of you who are listening to us for the first time and don't know who we are or where we are, we're in the upstate of South Carolina, specifically right now in downtown Greenville, and we're coming to you from our uh, main sponsor, Todaro Pizza. We're actually recording this live in the Todaro Pizza location uh, at 116 Markley Street in Greenville. The original location is on Sloan Street in downtown Clemson. So those of you who are in the upstate of South Carolina, you're very familiar with this fantastic pizza that the Todaro family brought down from New Jersey many years ago. And for those of you who may be from outside the area when you're coming in here, when you do, you're going to want to look up Todaro Pizza because they are simply fantastic. Um, we'll be talking about them a little bit more as we go on through the course of our podcast here today. But we've got a, a, a pretty good run of show for you, I think. A lot of stuff to get into, and it's going to include coming up in a little while an interview with uh, our mutual friend, Billy Davis, who was a member of Clemson's 1981 National Championship football team and went on to a fantastic career in the United States Secret Service, which gives him a a unique view of the world. And we're going to call on that view in a couple of different ways when we talk to him coming up here in just a little bit. Uh, He was
1: actually uh, Joe Biden's lead guy, wasn't he? Yeah, he,
0: he was head of the security detail when Joe Biden was vice president. He has since retired and is now working security for Franklin Graham and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. But um, Billy is well, just if you've never heard him, you're going to love him because he has a uh, a great presence about him. He's funny, but he also uh, is a guy who tells it the way it should be. So um, we are are happy to have you with us on this very first episode, and let's get right into it Let, let's Let's start, as everybody seems to be talking about on the Major League Baseball front with the Astros cheating scandal. As, as spring training has gone on, everywhere the Astros play, their players are getting booed. Um, coincidentally, in the first five games that they played, or the first seven games they played, their batters have been hit five times by pitches. Um, so uh, the, the, the scandal is not going away anytime soon for various and sundry reasons. I, I want to start with some comments that were made by Alex Rodriguez yesterday during an ESPN broadcast. We're recording this on Wednesday, March the 4th. During an ESPN broadcast of a spring training baseball game, Alex Rodriguez addressed the Astros scandal. Listen to what he said, and then Cobb and I are going to come back and have some thoughts on this. Here's Alex Rodriguez yesterday. This is courtesy of ESPN.
2: I think the one thing that really has upset the fans is you you cheat you win a championship there is no suspension and then there's no remorse and the last one i think is probably the worst one because people want to see remorse they want a real authentic apology and they have not received that thus far and i can just tell you this natty from, from a guy who has made you know as many mistakes as anybody on the biggest stage. I served the longest suspension in Major League Baseball history. You know, it cost me well over $35 million. And you know what? I deserved that. And as a result, I came back. I owned it after acting like a buffoon for a long time. I had my apologies and then I went dark. And I wanted my next move to be contrite, but I also wanted to go out and play good baseball and change my narrative. And the way you change your narrative is you have to be accountable. You've, you've earned all this negative talk. You've earned whatever comes your way, including whether it's hit by a pitch or negative press. You have divorced yourself from having the ability to protect yourself. All
0: right, so I know you heard part of it yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sent it to you earlier this morning. Uh, you hear it again now. What's your initial reaction when you hear that?
1: I, I just am, uh, it's very interesting to hear that perspective and and the the part about being contrite and um and accepting your responsibility for what you did wrong Uh, that's something I don't think I think that's the biggest complaint with the Astros right now is that there hasn't been any any remorse about what was done uh so I, But that's that's some pretty straight-up stuff there.
0: But but on the other hand, why would there be any remorse from the Astros? Because in order to get the information, Major League Baseball had to grant them immunity so they know that there's no punishment for Major League Baseball coming to them individually or collectively as a team. So what's in it for them to show any remorse?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I found an interesting – I came across something a couple of weeks ago that somebody – had posted that like back in the early 1900s, there was a uh, intricate cheating scandal uh, uh, on this similar scale, sign stealing and that kind of thing. And so, again, this has probably been going on in uh, different ways for years. And the Astros finally took it to a point where the video and, and the and the the formulas and trying to figure algorithms, out the algorithms, everything and all that goes that. with it, and they got caught. But uh, I don't, I, what I don't understand through this whole thing, and you're the baseball guy, um, every game, uh, what little baseball I played through Pony League, every game, teams change the indicator sign. If it's the second thing I do, the third thing I do, the fourth thing I do, then I, I just don't understand how it they could literally break it down to they were how, – how often were they right? I mean, it seems to me under those conditions, if you were right 50% of the time, that would be a very high percentage.
0: Well, in the 2017 World Series, Clayton Kershaw threw 51 curveballs and sliders and did, did not get one swing and a miss. So you tell me how often they were right. You're talking about the guy with the best breaking ball in the game
1: well and then there were other numbers and I can't remember the player and I think it was several players where it, the numbers showed they had a dramatically higher batting average in Houston than they did on the road and so that that's a direct corner to it but still I just don't understand how well
0: if we get into the be, list of that if after, we get into the list of things you don't understand
1: <laughs> we're we're, we're gonna
0: be here a while and not get much accomplished so uh, we, we but pro- I
1: just, I just think it's a question. But I, as far as the Major League Baseball's handling of this, I think it's been a total disaster. I think when the commissioner blurted out that it's nothing but a piece of metal, it's gone downhill from there. And I don't really know how they can get control of well, it. I mean,
0: sometimes I, I wonder mm-hmm. if Rob Manfred has ever yeah, seen a Major League well, Baseball game. Yeah, yeah. Quite yeah. honestly. Yeah. yeah. Even, even though he, you know, he was uh, Donald Fears' understudy for all those years, and now is the commissioner. Of uh, baseball. I thought
1: Bud Selig was bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, anybody that makes Bud Selig look good Mm -hmm. is is highly questionable in his competency when it comes to doing his job. was the last
1: last good commissioner of Major League Baseball?
0: Probably Bart Giamatti. Okay, yeah. And and he died of a heart attack nine days after banning Pete Rose for life in the cheating scandal, his uh, gambling scandal in 1989. The other aspect about this is you have a cheater in A-Rod who's calling out yeah. other cheaters. Right. But as I told you a moment ago, I, th- that's really the first time, or at least it's been a long time, because A-Rod, as he said, he kind of went dark after his suspension and, and he apologized and, and tried to be as contrite as possible. Which I
1: think is a good – that's a good move. I, I, mean, I agree 100%. Say your, your peace, say your apologies, and then be quiet for a while. but, but Just go to,
0: play ball. But to me, the the, the – Most intriguing thing that he said in that minute and 15 second mini rant on on television was, you know, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, you're talking about a guy who cheated, got caught, served the biggest suspension in the history of Major League Baseball, cost him $35 million. And at the end of that, he said, you know what? I deserved it. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: So does that give him the license then to call out? The Houston Astros players for
1: not showing remorse. Probably as much as anybody else, because he did the crime and he serves time. I, I mean, I don't, I don't really have a problem with him calling it like he sees it. Um, now, if he, if he did like the Astros done have done, which is commit the crime and then really not, you know, just try and make it go away, then. But he stepped up, like he said, he took the financial penalty, he took the suspension. Uh, He admitted it. He admitted it, so um, big difference. And the other thing that bothers me about this, didn't anybody ever question why that guy in the dugout was banging on a garbage can? I mean, certainly people noticed.
0: Well, apparently nobody did. Well, you know, I say nobody did, but then you, you see stories that are starting to come out now that several teams complained to the Major League Baseball office about the Astros and, and to a lesser degree later about the Red Sox. And, and Major League Baseball did nothing with it. And then last week I saw where Carl Ravich from ESPN had put something out, I believe it was on Twitter, where Joe Torre in, in 2018 had visited both the Astros and the Red Sox and told them they needed to cut out the sign stealing before somebody ratted them out. So to say Major League Baseball didn't know so, this was so going you think on. you MLB
1: tried to cover it up?
0: Did they cover up the entire steroid era as much as they could? Yeah. They did. Why? They did. Because the steroid era was, was bringing Major League Baseball back to popularity after the strike. It was bringing in billions and billions of dollars. People were coming back to the ballpark. There was no way they were going to mess with that. No. And when you have a team like the Astros who doing what they're doing and the Red Sox, a franchise, doing what they're doing, um, they weren't going to rock the boat until their hand was forced. I think that's very, very clear that they simply sat on it. And, and, and to say they didn't at least have some idea something was going on would be disingenuous.
1: I agree. And I'm certain they knew that Pete Rose was betting on baseball before that came out. I, they I, They had to. I mean – Word carries, um, and certainly Pete Rose is not the only player ever to bet on baseball. So, I just I don't know. I, and, and the other and another thing, how did how did the buzzer work? I mean, I imagine myself being at the plate, having what six, seven tenths of a second to decide to swing on a pitch or not, and a buzzer goes off under my uniform. Does that work? Well, the buzzer would have to go off before the. I was going to say, you know, I don't before know. The pitch How was do you delivered. time that? I mean, uh, I, it seemed like to me that'd be very distracting.
0: You know, listen, let's give them credit. Whatever system they used, it obviously worked. Right. However, they got to, you know, from point A to point B to point C, they got there, and it was highly effective. And, and it's interesting to me that, as it turns out, the people who were responsible for this, for for putting this system together in Houston were not baseball people at all. They were people who were hired because of their knowledge of analytics and, and those type of things, and, and that's where the whole idea was born and came from. But however they designed it, it, it worked, and it worked very, very well because the proof is there. Um, the, the question now is, what is baseball's response going to be moving forward on this thing? And and did they soft-pedal the Astros and not suspend multiple players because they knew that there were more than just the Astros and Red Sox doing this, that maybe there were as many as eight or nine teams mm-hmm. doing that?
1: I've heard that mm-hmm. speculation yeah. that you couldn't suspend that many players if you're Major League Baseball. Well, I mean, let's face it, the technology is out there. I mean, it's not just – sitting in the dugout splitting, spitting sunflower seeds and watching the third base coach now trying to figure out what the sign is. You know, it's not, the, it's not the old days it, where you, sign stealing was, it was an art. Now you've got all the technology and, and you know, they're not the only team to use it. And that's probably got a whole lot to do with it. But you would think eventually all the fingers would start pointing and the whole thing would collapse. Well um,
0: again though I think from what we found out as information has come out that fingers were pointing and Major League Baseball received a number of complaints so and they just decided
1: to ignore it. So you do you shut the franchise down for a year?
0: I don't think you can shut the franchise down you can for a year. Either, but but I mean, can can, would, can you ban them from the postseason?
1: I mean that's a that's an NCAA trick but yeah you probably could but I don't know. I, that's a good question. I, that's an ec- Do you, do you want to tell them in spring training you're banned from postseason and then have them just sleepwalk through 162? I mean, I mean cause
0: let, let's, let's face it. You, you had a, a manager and a general manager lose their job. You had a manager in, in Boston. Boston who hadn't ever managed a game yet for the Red Sox. Uh, and Carlos Beltran, or, I'm uh, sorry, uh, Joey Cora lose his job. It cost Carlos Beltran in New York who hadn't managed the game. Mm-hmm. That's the one. And, and the, the Houston franchise was fined $5 million. $5 million is like pocket change right. for, for you and me Right. To, to, uh, to the Astros or any other Major League Baseball franchise. So, you know, it, 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 the way it came down, it, it's like all the blame was going on the manager and the general manager, and, and they were probably two – did they know? Yeah, but they were probably two of the, the least culpable people in this entire mess, and yet they're the only ones who ended up losing their jobs.
1: Well, and all those guys you mentioned will never work in baseball again. I mean, not that they got a lifetime suspension, but who's going to take a chance Right. When they, they'll get really scrutinized if they try and hire one of those guys.
0: All right, final thing on this topic, and then we're going to bring in our good friend Billy Davis. Mike Fires the guy who brought this all to light in that article in The Athletic back uh, prior to uh, the, uh, the new year coming in, should he be looked at as some in Major League Baseball and outside baseball, or should he be looked at as a snitch? And you know the old saying, snitches get stitches. Or should he be looked at as a guy who stepped up and did the right thing, albeit after he benefited as a pitcher, from all that run support with the Astros in 2017. You know, he waited two years to come out with the information, but how should Mike Fires be looked at? What, what should history say about Mike Fires?
1: My question is, does he know the Clintons? <laughs> 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 let's, let's hope not. <laughs> I, I don't know how you – I don't know. I don't know what – I mean – if you benefited from it and then you blow the whistle, I, there's something a little creepy about that, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. But on the other hand, we don't have any of this if I mean, he doesn't go
1: public. Of course, the right thing. is Okay, we're stealing signs and you're pitching today. Well, I ain't doing that. Uh, it's not baseball. That's the wrong thing to do. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for him.
0: I, and, and, and that's a view a lot of people have taken. Mm-hmm. And, again, other people have taken the other side that, hey, if it weren't for this guy – we wouldn't have, you know, this story. We wouldn't
1: have had. Well, I mean, all you know of this what all down. this does, too. If other teams are doing it, which we think they are, just drives it further underground. And other things are developed. And um, it's, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, right? <laughs>
0: now, we're not talking about NASCAR now. <laughs> But you know, and, and when we get Billy on in a moment and we're we'll gonna talk about this because baseball more than any other sport is a has a culture where cheating is kind of accepted. Yeah. Part of the unwritten rules. Nice. Uh, you know, scuffing the ball, the spitball, slippery elm, corking the bat, you know, all in anything anything to try and get an advantage and it, it's you know, it's it's against the rules, but it's against the rules wink wink nod, nod, if you get caught, you may be suspended for four or five games and, and that's it. But that, that's been in the culture of baseball for 150 years. Right. So more than any other sport, th- that's embedded into the fabric of the game. And I, I, I wonder, we'll talk to Billy because he's more of a football guy. He played baseball, but he played in the NFL. You know, h- how do those unwritten rules translate into the NFL? Are there unwritten rules in the NFL? We'll do that. Here in just a second, Billy Davis is going to join us on this, Episode 1 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. Once again, we want to pay homage to our uh, sponsor, our main sponsor, title sponsor who's helped us get this podcast launched, Todaro Pizza. We're actually doing Episode 1 here uh, in the location uh, on Markley Street in uh, the west end of downtown Greenville, South Carolina. They have another location Uh, on Sloan Street in Clemson. That's the original location here in the upstate. Those of you who may be listening to us from New Jersey, that's a name, uh, a great name in pizza in New Jersey. That's where the Todaro family started, and they've brought it down here. And um, we are so thankful that uh, John has jumped on board with us here on Grumpy Old Broadcasters, and you're going to be hearing more about him as we go on through the course of uh, this episode. Right now, we want to uh, go to the phones and bring in a – a, a good friend of ours, as mentioned earlier, Billy Davis uh, is a uh, a Clemson University graduate. He played on the 1981 national championship team for the Tigers. Went on and played in the NFL, and uh, wrapped up just a few years ago. Uh, just an incredible career in the United States Secret Service. So, as I mentioned, Billy has a unique view on a lot of things in this world. BD, how you doing?
3: I'm doing good, brother. Thanks for having me on. Well, Hope that's... everybody's enjoying the nice, nice weather.
0: Yeah, it it, <laughs> it, it fi- finally it actually broke for us a little bit here. You know, where some folks are listening to this episode uh, in other parts of the country. You know, uh, not not exactly what you're going through, but last night we finally had a some sunshine in about 63, 64 degrees. It was it we was got pretty some good. some more
1: rain coming this afternoon.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. All right, Billy, I sent you the uh, the. Clip of Alex Rodriguez uh, during that baseball broadcast yesterday, uh, talking about uh, the Houston Astros and, and really going on a rant about them. Uh, just first of all, your initial reaction to that?
3: Well, I mean, I I'd certainly respect Alex Rodriguez and his uh, obviously his abilities as a baseball player, but I think he's kind of kind of stretching the edge of the envelope there when he's calling people out for cheating, knowing his background. So um, as a former baseball player at Clemson, I certainly didn't play at the level Alex did, you know, in baseball. But uh, to see him go on a rant about that, I can understand it as an athlete. But as a person, I have a little bit of trouble following it based on his, um, his actions, you know, with the, and how he got in trouble with baseball. So I don't think he's a, exactly a great representative to go on a rant. Although I will say, you know, what the Astros pulled off uh, it was probably, um, I know it enraged a lot of Major League Baseball players, and um, and rightfully so.
0: Well, I, I want to take the other side of that argument, though, and Cobb and I discussed this at length just a, a moment ago before you came on. In one sense, I think you could say that maybe Alex Rodriguez is more qualified to call out the Astros because he did cheat himself. And, and the thing that struck me in that rant that we, that we heard there is, is he said, Nobody served a larger suspension in Major League Baseball than I have. Nobody lost more money than I did, over $35 million. And he said, you know what? I deserved it. He called himself a buffoon for the way he acted before he finally came clean and apologized when all of this happened to him back in 2013. So I think you can make the argument that maybe because he has been there and as Cobb said, he has done the crime, done the time, and been legitimately contrite about it, that maybe he's got more of a platform to talk about this, and the thing he was going after most, Billy, was the fact that the Astros players were showing no remorse. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that got him.
3: Yeah, I uh, yeah, well, sure. I mean, everybody's got a point. Everybody's got an opinion. You have an opinion, so do I. So look, uh, I think eventually those guys will start showing a lot more remorse when people are throwing throwing baseballs at them come the regular season. Uh, but that's the society we live in now. I mean, everybody's a victim, but nobody wants to take responsibility for anything. So you're saying a
0: little frontier justice will take care of it, right? Maybe. I don't know. Baseball is unique, man. I,
3: I, you know, as you know, Dan, I played there at Clemson for a year. And, you know, I went from high school and didn't play for three years. And then I, I got thrown into, obviously, the highest level of Division One baseball. There's a lot of rules mm-hmm. and etiquette that I didn't even understand went on in baseball. That you know, guys, you can't do that, or you can't, you know, you can't look this way, or you can't flip a bat. Or, you, where in football, it, 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 there's a there's a whole different set of rules, and and a lot of what takes on goes on in a football field. And the, as you said, their frontier justice uh, takes care of itself on the field. So, I, I was always learning on the baseball diamond and in the dugout what I wasn't supposed to do and what I was supposed to do. Well, a an interesting game with a lot of intricacies.
1: I tell you, what opened my eyes was when I guy like Nick Markakis, who's a pretty quiet guy, said a few weeks ago all of the Astros needed a beating. <laughs> just, I mean, there, there's, like you said, there's just some people all through Major League Baseball who are just really upset about not only what the Astros did but how MLB has handled it.
0: Billy Davis joining us here. Did you, did you hear that, Billy?
3: I'm having trouble picking you up. You're really garbled in transmission. I'm uh, doing the best I can to understand what you're saying. But, uh, but ba- a little,
0: uh, basically what Cobb said was that when a quiet guy like Nick Markakis of the Braves comes out and, and, and on the record says that the, the uh, Astros players need a beating, that, that you're, he's getting that, they are getting that kind of reaction all across Major League Baseball. It's been interesting to see all the MLB players who have, who have come out with that kind of reaction.
3: Oh yeah, I mean I, I don't have any doubt about that. I mean, you know, when guys, when you, especially when you use, when you use that kind of the video capabilities and spying to, uh, to, and to steal signs, and then you put people at a disadvantage like that. I was trying to compare it to football. That would be like people intercepting the calls from the the press box or intercepting the radio signals from the, the offensive coordinator to the quarterback and the defense knowing exactly what the play is being called. Kind, and, of, um, kind
1: of like what the New England Patriots have done
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm really hey Dan I'm really having trouble uh, picking you guys up for some reason. You uh, either want, want to call me back or it's really uh, garbled
0: well'll we'll try, we'll try to run with it here. maybe it's just uh, because Cobb is a little further away from the phone
3: okay um, yeah,
0: but uh, in, in any event, uh, l- let me ask you this you've got um a sport in baseball where, as, as Cobb and I were discussing a moment ago, cheating has kind of been in the fabric of the game for 150 years, you know. Yeah. Uh, spitballs, scuffing the ball, court bats, um, e- even stealing signs from on the field, you know, a base runner or a coach trying to decipher a catcher's signals. All of that is kind of, quote-unquote, accepted with a wink and a nod, whereas yeah. this obviously went in a, in a much – much different direction, but your experience as, as a high-level football player and, and playing in the NFL, how do unwritten rules in football compare to these unwritten rules in baseball we're talking
3: about? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a great question, and I knew you were going to answer ask that question. I, I tried to formulate an answer. Um, there Unwritten rules in football a little bit different as far as it's, it's obviously a much more physical game. And so there are things that you do and don't do um, to players based on who you're playing. And, and, but there were like, – for instance, there were bounties. We had bounties put on people when I was in high school, um, uh, things of that nature. But like I said before, playing football at Clemson and playing baseball at Clemson or playing football in the NFL, I was always mystified by the, the unwritten rules and and – the set of rules that baseball had that are different than any other sport, whether I played basketball or whether I played football, there weren't as many rules and, and, and it was in etiquette things where at baseball, you can't do this. Don't, don't flip your bat. Uh, you know, get out of the way of a pitch. I had people screaming at me because I at the ACC tournament. I get hit twice against Duke and I tried to get out of the way, but I got hit and the guys in the Duke dugout were screaming at me that I, you know, I didn't get out of the way of the pitch. I'm like, I mean, I don't understand the etiquette. Of so, what I guess the point I'm, I'm making is, baseball is extremely unique in the set of rules and the unwritten rules and and the standard they hold people by. Where football, you really don't have that. I mean, it's it's a brutal physical game, and you you know that's why we have the refs out there. But is you always push everything to the edge of the envelope or as they say in football, you play, play to the hint of the, the end of the whistle, you know? Um, but as far as etiquette and things like that, I mean, it's, it's all, all holes barred on, you know, you don't hold anything back Where baseball. I, to me, to me, it's still a mystery, but I do understand the major league players and they're, um, absolutely being furious of, of what the, uh, the Astros did, and it's not just it's not just taking the game, but it's it's taken livelihoods away from guys that maybe didn't produce at a certain time because the Astros knew what they were going to do. And, and guys could possibly lose their jobs and lose their livelihood. over. It. And um, I'm surprised there's not more of a fan outcry over it myself. But uh, I think the only saving grace was that the Washington Nationals actually won the World Series in spite of all of that and um and prove that uh as much as the Astros wanted to cheat, they still couldn't you know win that game seven. I think the narrative really been it would have been even more difficult to tolerate if the Astros had won the World Series this year, but I don't know if people talk about that, but it's that's interesting that the uh you know the nats and the Astros share the same spring training facility down there in Florida and um but it would have been interesting to see if the, if the Astros had won that thing last year instead of the Mavs.
0: Billy Davis joining us on Grumpy Old Broadcasters. This is Episode 1 of our brand-new podcast. All right, let, let's go in another direction and kind of call on your experience when it comes to security and your work uh, with the United States Secret Service. Obviously, uh, there's no higher level of security than what you guys put in place for presidents, vice presidents, and, and everything along those lines. The the spread of this coronavirus, which now has caused up to nine deaths in Seattle. Uh, We're sitting here in South Carolina. There are uh, multiple cases now down in the state of Georgia. There's at least one case in the state of North Carolina. And this thing continues to spread. And it's getting to the point where now uh, Chicago State has canceled its final two road games in its conference because one of them is in Seattle. They say they're not going out there to play. You've got conference tournaments, NCAA tournaments coming up, and, and I don't want to say it's, it's a full-out panic yet, but there are people who are starting to talk about, hey, should we be getting large crowds of people, sometimes 15, 20, 30,000 people into a facility at once with this virus out there and, and no vaccine for it yet? When it comes to those kind of security measures, Billy, what, what can be done, if anything, and, and should – A recommendation that was put out by one medical group to play these tournaments with no fans in the stands, should that be taken seriously?
3: Well, I think you have to take it seriously. I mean, in my job, in the Secret Service, we're in the physical protection part. It's easy to set up a security perimeter and keep people out, you know, with firearms. You set up magnetometers, you set up checkpoints, you funnel people through. We've all lived through that in the, in the day and age we live, but when it comes to stuff floating through the air that's transmitted by coughs and by, by particles in the air, there's absolutely no way you can control that, whether it's the coronavirus or the common flu. Uh, and so the, I think, you know, and, and I'm not minimizing it at all, and I'm not trying to, but we've the, I think with the way the media is, it, it, and it's a terrible disease that uh, you know virus is killing people around the world. But I think it's probably been around a little bit longer than we we want to admit, or we or we even know. The this, this, things are starting to pop up now because people are aware of it. It just doesn't all of a sudden pop up. So, um, but as far as keeping it out of say that you know the Charlotte Coliseum or Little John Coliseum, that, that's virtually impossible. So I don't really know how anybody's going to be able to control the thing, other than you know it's going to it's going to run its course, and unfortunately, a lot of people are going to suffer a a, a terrible fate due to it. But I'm not, you know, I'm, I don't work for the CDC or or um, NIH, so I can't really give you an educated opinion on uh, how that's to be, you know, addressed as far as the ACC basketball tournament or. You know, on down the line, in uh, in August, and they're even talking about postponing the the Olympic Games. So, uh, it, it's going to be um, it's going to be the the hot topic. Obviously, already is for the year 2020 and beyond. And when you large numbers of people into a, an event, I mean, you can't put everybody in you know, a mask is not going to help. And you, I mean, you could put everybody in a bubble suit. That's the only way that things aren't going to get transmitted. So you know, it, it's, it's interesting. Quite, it's quite I, the dilemma.
0: Yeah, I saw today that the Olympic planners in Tokyo were quoted as saying there is no Plan B. In other words, they right. don't they don't have a fallback plan. They're going to have to go off when they go off, or not go off at all.
3: Right. I mean, I, and you know what? I mean, it's unfortunately, you know, I, I I deal in a world where a lot of my daughter's friends are you know Olympic trials qualifiers, and they've worked their whole life to get to it. But it's no different than. You know when we pulled out of the Moscow Olympics, the Summer Olympics back. I think that was in 1980, and yeah, then 40 years they ago. did it. And four years later, that you know the Russians, and the Soviets pulled out of the LA Olympics. Uh, but in this case, you know, what's the what's the price you have to pay to hold the Olympic Games? You know, and, and over in Asia, obviously, whether it's Japan or Korea or China, I mean, where they where they speculate this thing you know started in China when no one once again no one really knows. Uh, They, you know, with literally, you know, you have a billion people that live in China. And how are you going to stop that? Or, you know, and and just it's it's uh, it's it's a scary proposition. You know, you're going to change the lifestyle for a lot of people. I mean, I've noticed just just the difference just going to the grocery store uh, today. There's less people, there's less food and that. We live up here in northern Virginia. So people are a little leery of it, obviously. But it's going to be an interesting thing to see how they you know hold the ncaa tournament and all these conference tournaments. so um wish i had the answer for you that one but i have well, i have yeah. absolutely no clue how, how that's going to be done and,
0: and and i would imagine that if you were still active and i know you are active in security with with uh, the billy graham association but if you were still Correct. active in in the secret service right now it would have to be particularly frustrating for you guys, because as you said, this is not something you can control. I mean, to a certain extent, you can control, as you said, the physical threats. But a, an environmental threat like this is, is not something you can control.
3: No. Well, you know, and it's funny. We think we can control everything as human beings, whether it's, you know, there's some people who think we can actually can, we can change the weather, uh, there, but we can't. And, you know, and in this situation, we, we use we try to prevent things, you know, and they say wash your hands as much as you can. If you have to wash your hands 50 times a day, keep your hands clean because most of the germs and most of the viruses and, and the bad things that are transmitted around the world or by people's personal contact in their hands. But as a Secret Service agent, you know, we have chem-bio um, mitigation teams that travel with us with the president and vice president. But the fact of the matter is it's just floating through the air as a virus, um, you know. There's really nothing you can do about it as a human being, other than, you know, but you, what I would recommend, to people, you know, you still got to go out and live your life. You can't live your life in fear. Now, you're talking to a guy that was a Secret Service agent for 27 years, worked for the CIA and returned punts. So I'm not exactly, you know... <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not exactly gonna say right in the head, yeah. but I, I I refuse to live my life in fear and and you know be one of those people that won't go anywhere or do anything. You still got to go out and live your life. Yeah. How and how many chances con- of, you know? How, how many concussions did you have there, Davis? <laughs> uh, enough to not be scared by too much anymore. Yeah. I can't even remember how many concussions I had. to Tell you the truth. That's great. Lost lost count, my friend. Lost That's count.
0: A, That may be one of the all-time lines. I was. Secret Service agent for 27 years, worked for the CIA and returned punts. Yeah. <laughs> so you that gotta, you that see, didn't
3: tell you something about me, nothing. There, there's a certain level
0: know. of crazy involved in all of them is what you're telling us, yes, right?
3: Yes, Absolutely. I, gotcha. and I firmly, and you know me, I, I, I'm I honest as I try to be, and I, I tell people, hey, if you don't think I'm a little a little wacky, then you're not looking at the resume.
0: <laughs> I love it. Hey, Billy, uh, thanks for your time, and I uh, look forward to having you back on the uh, brand-new podcast soon.
3: Hey, I, I, thanks for having me. And, Cobb, I, I apologize for not being able to hear you, but I was having a little transmission difficulties here. Hopefully you can work that out. But uh, I you. That's you, uh, okay? fine. Okay? It's
1: happened before. You weren't missing anything. It'll happen again.
3: Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right.
0: <laughs> All, right. All, right. All right. All right. I'll talk to you. Thanks, Dan. All right. That was Billy Davis, uh, former U.S. Secret Service agent, former uh, national champion at Clemson, uh, played in the NFL. He's got quite the resume. I, that to me, that's one of the all-time lines. Yeah. Uh, Secret really service was, agent, yeah. worked for the CIA, and return, return punts. punts. Yeah. That doesn't tell you something about me. Nothing will.
1: Well, and people that really aren't can't remember Billy or remember his playing career at Clemson. His big moment at Clemson was a, a punt return in the the '81 Orange Bowl. Um, to give uh, to that led to. You know, helping the Tigers win the game. Kind of so, led to the touchdown uh, to put the game yeah, away, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he he was uh, he was a, a really good athlete. All uh, right,
0: we are um, bringing you episode one of uh, Grumpy Old Broadcasters and kind of doing this first full episode on the fly. And I uh, hope you're enjoying it, and we will give you a way to give us some feedback coming up uh, at the end of the episode. Um We're at Todaro Pizza. Uh, They are our main sponsor. Those of you here in the upstate of South Carolina know about this great pizza uh, and everything else they have on the menu. And if you're not from here and you're coming into this area anytime, you need to look them up in Greenville and in Clemson. All right, let's head into the uh, home stretch now. Did you see what Mike Krzyzewski said on his radio show yesterday? He basically called out fans on social media telling them, to stop saying negative things about his 18 and 19 year old players, he said if you want to criticize me, that's fine. But if you're thinking about criticizing me, come into Cameron Indoor, look in the in the, in the rafters, look at the
1: banners, and,
0: and see you know five national championships, 12 Final Fours. My question, and I ask our our mutual friend Dave Glenn this today, who has covered the ACC for 30 years, why does Mike Krzyzewski feel the need to stoop? the level of people on social media and respond to them
1: i have no idea no well just because he can because of who he is uh he's he uh he is got his own world and lets people into it every once in a while so only because he can uh you know he had that freak out earlier this year when um jeff capel was at Cameron Indoor, and he yelled at his student body for absolutely nothing. Um,
0: ended up having to apologize because he, apologize. he misunderstood and what I they said.
1: Saw him up close and personal in Little John back in January, and I mean, he's he can say what he wants to, but he 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 intimidates the officials, and it's it's blatantly obvious to somebody who doesn't have a dog in the fight. You can sit there and watch the game and um they will uh they will cave to him and uh but i don't know it he's he's a grumpy old man <laughs> that's hey, what he is. Well, he's not taking my job i know but i mean that's the best way to explain it because he because he can and the doesn't matter he, he i guess he's earned that status to be able to but i I i have friends who are duke basketball fans who Will complain about why so and so isn't playing and why such and such isn't playing, and I'm just like, I don't get it. You know, I, I, uh, I don't know. I I guess you. I guess that's just a fan thing to question the coach, no matter who it is. Um, But um, yeah, it seems to be a little ultra sensitive for a man in his position.
0: Well, and then let's let's also consider the fact that 18 and 19 year olds today. Uh, unfortunately, are a little more savvy, for the most part, than they were a generation or two ago because of everything that's being thrown at them now. Most of them are, are uh, you know, have been on social media now for well. six, seven, eight years. They they so none of this and 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 the highest profile players have been playing before they get into the college ranks. They've been playing all these high profile summer leagues, AAU, McDonald's All-Americans. So they're. They're accustomed to a lot more attention on them than, again, previous generations would be at that same age. I don't know that, that, yeah, are they kids? Yes. Are they as mature as they're going to be? No. But at the same time, they knew what they were signing up for when they went to play at a school like Duke. And I, I just found it interesting that Krzyzewski, in my view, lowered himself to the level of the people he's complaining about well, on social media.
1: Yeah, you know, a few years ago. Uh, Clemson players stepped up in August and said, the leadership of the Clemson team said, no more social media during the season. And Dabo said, okay, sounds like a good idea to me. And so it's become an annual right now that in August, Clemson players sign off the social media and do not use social media during the season. And uh, some national guys always complain and whine and criticize that the Clemson players are being muzzled and and this and that and the other thing but but there's a there's a positive to it too in that it absolutely eliminates any distraction or criticism or any loony bird out there saying something negative about the way a kid is playing um, like you said I mean it it's all out there and there's a whole lot more ways to get it out there now um, but if you just say, "Okay, we're not using social media during the season," I think it. I think it's. I think that's a useful cuts a distraction, um, makes a team aspect, and uh, you know, and 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 really increases the focus. Um, but you know, Shashovsky, Shashovsky, and nothing you can do about it. I mean, uh, the ACC is going to have an interesting turnover here in the next three or four years, because Shashevsky, Roy Williams, Bayheim, um, those guys are all gone. And uh, Leonard Hamilton, I mean, Leonard Hamilton's 71 years old. He looks like he's 40. but um, or, or, or will be gone yeah, in, in a handful of years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, none of them have announced anything, but it's getting toward the end of the road. And uh, so there's going to be some big turnover in the league. And, you know, when you're losing Hall of Famers and who's going to take that position and – um but, you know, Krzyzewski, uh, when he first came in the league, he whined about North Carolina just like everybody else and now. He, everybody, he, everybody whines about he, him. He, he
0: in, in one sense, has become what he once complained right, about. Right,
1: exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. All right, speaking of
0: uh, NCAA basketball, uh, very quickly as, as we come down the stretch, um, the, the debate always at this time of year, uh, how many teams are going to get in from what conferences, the big conferences, power fives are dominating, mid-majors aren't getting – the, the respect they deserve. And, and, you know, in my job, I cover uh, the yeah, Southern Conference a really here good basketball At, at thing. Furman University. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the top three teams in the Southern Conference right now could could hold their weight in many of these conferences across this country. And, and yet the Southern Conference has never been a two-bid league. Last year was the first time in the league's history, or, or in NCAA history, since the tournament expanded to 64 teams back in, I think, 1985 the first time that a conference with an RPI that high did not get multiple teams into the tournament. you got an ACC who's used to getting seven, eight, and their most ever has been be four. nine teams in. before
1: four this year.
0: There could be four. So, it looks, so let's, let's say they do get four, and, and, and there would normally have been four other spots. Where are those four other spots going to go? Are they going to go to mid-majors, or are they going right. to go to other Power Five conferences? Yeah. History says they're going to go to other Power Fives.
1: Well, I, I've heard some discussion this morning. Um, it, always this time of year, a couple of conferences, you have a one of those 12 and 18 teams sneak up and win the conference and steal a bid. And, and maybe it's time for some of these leagues to say, hey, you know what, our regular season champion gets the bid. And, um, uh, and that way you know that your best team, proven out over the regular season, is going to go to the NCAA tournament now. The NIT, of course, changed their rules a few years ago, where if a conference champion is left out, they pick up the conference champion and put them in the NIT. I know that's it's the NIT, not in tournament, but it is what it is. At least you're extending your season a little bit. But um, I, it's it's and and if you can, uh, and I printed this out. I mean, I, and I but I don't b- to pretend to understand it. But this uh, the net thing is a mess. Um, you know Clemson beats uh Florida State at home last Saturday and moved up uh three spots, four spots and Notre Dame loses to Wake Forest on the road and drops one spot. I mean it, it there's no rhyme or reason to that. Um I actually think the RPI was a better a better tool, but um yeah, you know, we're going to fight about it every year and there's always going to be five or six teams that get left out that probably deserve to be in. Um they, I think Yeah, I have- but I do believe the Southern. I mean, I haven't seen, I mean, I know East Tennessee State is um is very good. I know Furman's very good. Um so I uh, but yeah, I I in ACC, this is the year to get the ACC. People are already saying next year the ACC will be back to the, the 8 9 to the tournament league that we're used to seeing. But this is just kind of an aberration. When you have, and this is really interesting, when you have none of the 15 all ACC players from last year return, that's a lot of turnover for any league. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was a brand new, it was a lot of unknowns in the ACC this year, a lot.
0: I mean, it's going to be intriguing to see how it works out. I, I know a year ago, and just using the Southern Conference as a model for all of the one-bid leagues. Mm-hmm. A, a mm-hmm. year ago, Wofford went through the Southern
1: Conference yeah, regular season, really
0: undefeated, and then ran the table in the tournament, and if their got best, in.
1: If their best shooter didn't go 0 for 12, I mean, they'd probably play another round. Yeah, probably. I mean, they won
0: one game and, and, yeah. and could have won two. Yeah, But the, the, the prevailing theory is had Wofford with that run – got all the way to the championship game, and then lost to UNCG that the conference would have gotten two bids in that Wofford would have gotten in anyway. Instead, UNCG was the last team out right. in the tournament a year ago. So the question is, does something similar have to happen in the SOCON or another conference where ETSU has had some national exposure this year? They're 27-4 and four or whatever they are, regular season champions. Do they go all the way to the championship game and let's say Furman beats them? Or UNCG beats them and and wins the conference title, the automatic bid. Does ETSU get in, or is another mid-major conference well, snubbed again?
1: Let's face it, face it. In my in my memory, in my recent memory, this is going to be the craziest NCAA tournament ever. I mean, it's this whole year has been totally out of control. I think more AP number ones have gone down this year. I mean, uh, just – and a note on that that I picked up on over the weekend, you know, way back in, was it November, Evansville beat Kentucky. And John Calipari is still hearing about it, but Evansville proceeded to go 0-18 in their league. They did not win a league game. So how do you – you can't explain that. That's just – that's just – that's just crazy.
0: No, but the the one thing you can't explain every year is that the committee's tendency to rewarding mediocre Power Five conference teams yeah. and not rewarding teams in in oh, lesser leagues who have mm-hmm. had who have had great runs and, and and you know we got into the discussion today, uh, Dave and I did about the um, uh, you know the the difference in schedules, which is a legitimate concern, until you you think about the flip side of it is. Here at Furman, Bob Ritchie, with the success the Paladins have had in the in the previous four seasons coming into 2019-2020, remember last year they beat Loyola Chicago, Final Four team, and beat the defending national champion Villanova both on the road. Right. Well, when it came time to put out to, – to do the scheduling for this year. They don't they, play them. They couldn't get anybody to play them. Right, not going to play them. Right. Had, they, they had to play three Division II games – instead of the normal two that they would play because they couldn't find anybody who wanted to play them. They right. were willing to go anywhere. Right? Ended up playing Auburn and Alabama. Took Auburn, uh, who was number four in the country at that Got time, to, o- to overtime.
1: Got hosed. Got hosed, too, didn't they? But,
0: it? but that, that's the point. Go so, ahead. You can tell me. So when they talk about schedules. <laughs> I didn't see the game, but I read about it. When, when they talk about schedules, <laughs> uh, I, was, I wasn't I was there. Bryant oh, Lambert did okay. that Oh, okay.
1: Well, you can't comment, no. but I, that's all I read was that it was a – there were some serious fried chicken, mashed potatoes, and green beans at that game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> but, you know, when you talk about scheduling. Uh, well, I can
1: uh, say that through the years, when I was a student at Clemson, Bill Foster was a head coach. It was nothing and, – and, and Cliff Ellis. It was nothing but cupcakes from November to December. And it wasn't rare that Clemson would get to, to January with one loss or undefeated. And then, obviously, the ACC hit him right in the face. Brad Brownell's scheduling—I like his philosophy. And he's a mid-major guy, so he's he's going to look for mid majors. But he—they try and go out and schedule the the top teams in those mid-major conferences. Mm-hmm. They try and you know Yale. Everybody looks at Yale. Well, what's Yale? Well, Yale's pretty good. <laughs> I, I mean, I saw them up close and personal, and they. I don't know how they do it, but they're very good. Um, and um, but yeah, I mean they still everybody's still got three or four layups on their schedule. I mean, was it Wofford or Furman played Tooele Falls? I mean, you know, I mean everybody you got to have some wins. You know, your team needs to build some confidence. Every night can't be a a grinder, especially now. You know, I don't know if there will be some discussion. And, and I'm sure there will be, with ACC only getting four teams in, did adding two more conference games actually hurt the league a little bit? Um, instead of playing 18, they played 20 this year for the first time, actually played two conference games before Christmas. And uh, there may be some discussion that, that hurt, but that also toughened the schedule up a little bit because you knew yeah you only had a, now your limited window for your non-conference stuff. And everybody knows Duke's not going to play a road game, I mean they're going to play in Madison Square Garden and claim that's a road game, but that he's never going to play unless he's forced to in the a c c big Ten challenge
0: all right let's uh let's close it out I've asked you to come with a with a final
1: thought which I'm sure
0: is going to be pleasing to millions.
1: <laughs> well, my final thought is the best laugh I've had in a while, and I don't know how to tell you to find it, but Jackson state uh, oh our man snacks, the manager. I don't know what the kid's full name is, but his nickname is Snacks. And at their home game the other night, I guess their final home game, they put Snacks in the game and uh, late, and it looks, like, a, looks, looks bo- like they put a uniform on a bowling well, ball. It looks like you and I in a yeah, basketball uniform. Yeah, it does. It's it, it, very similar to you and I in a basketball uniform, and he, he waddles onto the court, and uh, he spots up at the five-second line. <laughs> and literally drains a three point shot and and the crowd just the bench goes nuts there's peop- there's nothing but people jumping up and down in the background mm-hmm. it is it is one of the most priceless videos yeah. ever. and i've told people you know if you're around college athletics especially recently it's easy to get cynical it really is it really is um the money and the 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 cheating and the gray areas and it just it's getting closer and closer to professional sports every year which we don't want if we love college athletics and but it's moments like that that really that's what college at I I think it's a brilliant moment for college athletics and that's just what it's all about and and what a nickname yeah oh yeah I'm I'm jealous of the nickname (laughs) I mean and I asked I asked uh, Don Munson's actually the one that sent it to me and I called Don I just called him after I watched it because I'm crying I'm laughing so hard I said where did you find this and and said you need to make sure Brownell sees it and I said and I'm wondering how the guy got his nickname Snacks well you know he's He's, a, he's, he's you a, and I in a he's, basketball a human bowling, he's a human bowling ball, so obviously we know the answer to that question, right. he, he likes his little debbie cakes, probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's good stuff. My final thought uh, is
0: uh, actually going to delve into the world of the XFL.
1: Ooh, I love me some XFL. And,
0: and the thing that I like most about the XFL off it is No, is the, is the absolute transparency they have yeah. in their replay system. Yeah, I agree. Where we, like actually, we actually get to hear <laughs> the replay guys talking as they're looking at the replay <laughs> and hearing what they're saying. So there's no wondering what's going on in that mystery booth somewhere. We're actually getting to hear it. We're actually getting to see it and, and figuring out how they come to their decision to me that is something that needs to be implemented in professional sports college sports across the board take all of the mystery out of it make it transparent hold people accountable and
1: get the call right right well and you know there was some movement late last week the rules committee 2 minutes on reviews they 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 want they want that process sped up and uh it needs to be sped up. And I, I'm all appreciative for trying to get the call right. But eventually, make the call. Let's play the game. You know, and, and I think some officials freeze up because of video. And, uh, well,
0: can I tell you a story that happened at, at Furman at a football game two years ago? Yeah, tell me. We, uh, we had a situation where um, we had a lead. Furman had a lead late in the game. And uh, I think it was Chattanooga maybe had done an onside kick and it, it, it looked as if they had actually recovered the kick. And, and so they're, they're – and, and, in fact, I think everybody agreed that they had recovered the kick. Well, they, they went to a replay. And this thing goes on. It goes on two minutes, four minutes, five minutes, seven minutes, mm-hmm. all the way up to ten minutes. And then they came back with a ruling that said that Furman recovered the fumble – or recovered the kick or whatever it was, and, and and had possession, which at the time was not even an option when you were looking at the replay. Why did it take so long? Well, for the first five minutes, the geniuses in the booth were looking at the wrong play. <laughs> How did that get out? Uh, well, I, you, I, have I, I, I you have sources. I have sources. sources. <laughs> they were looking at the wrong play, so. Just using that as an example, I believe that as much transparency we can get on the – the if we're going to use technology and going to use a replay system, let's use it, but, let, but let's have that kind of transparency that we're seeing with these XFL broadcasts so there's no mystery about how they arrived at a certain call. And, and, and there's a public accountability
1: yeah. to getting there. And, and I love the kickoff rule. I That's just brilliant. It it keeps the return in the game and it's exciting. And I still don't understand why more teams don't go for three. I mean it's two yard, one, five yard is two and ten yards is three. I don't why you wouldn't go for three every time. I just don't get it. But uh but Again. it is it is um you know, I hope it lasts. I, I mean I can dare say that I've probably watched more of it than any other offshoot league and uh it's uh, it's fun. Um you know, got the coaches mic I mean, Jerry Glanville's back coaching football. I mean, it's crazy. Some of the, some of the, and it, and some of the places look like they've had pretty decent crowds. So you know. Yeah. I TV, got, t- I got view- hope for it. That it t-
0: TV viewership has has taken a pretty significant nosedive since week one, mm-hmm. but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean bad things right, right now. Right. So we'll, we'll right. see, we'll see what happens. Well, I think we've done all the damage we can do here okay. for episode one. All well, good.
1: And we survived it. We did. Um, Even though he couldn't hear me. <laughs> Which well, probably is a good thing. He wasn't <laughs> missing anything. <laughs> no, he wasn't. No, All these years, nothing has changed. No, no. His, uh, his life is still full.
0: Yeah. Uh, th- this has been episode one of uh, Grumpy Old Broadcasters. And we hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, obviously, we're going to be listening to this and tweaking and working to improve it from week to week. But, and this is kind of who we are and what we do. Our thanks to Billy Davis for joining us, and most of all our thanks for uh, Todaro Pizza for being our, our uh, title sponsor and for allowing us to do this first episode here in their uh, Greenville facility. And now I think it's time to go get something to eat. Yes. It is.
1: Sounds good to me. That is Cobb
0: Oxford. I am Dan Scott, and we will talk to you later. Thank you for tuning in to episode one of Grumpy Old Broadcasters, our brand new podcast. We'll be back with you again next week. Until then, God bless you. So long, everybody.